Hey, Danny. Hey, Sean. Guess what? What's up? We have a winner. That's right. We have a winner. So if you follow us on Twitter over at Fraternity, you would know that we did another Guess Our April lineup quiz. And the winner was none other than Megan for Megers 1981. So congratulations, Megan. We were rooting for you. We know you're a big horror enthusiast and we appreciate all you do. You're always retweeting our tweets. One of our questions was designed for a listener to win. You had to be a listener of the show to get a question. And not only did Megan get that, but other people who participated got that. And we're just so thankful to Megan and to everyone who listens to the show. Yeah, congratulations, Megan. Megger's, I would say, is probably our biggest fan. I'm going out and I'm saying it right now. So we're very grateful to have you as a listener. You're always liking our stuff and we feel so appreciated. So thank you for all that you do and congratulations and I hope you enjoy the gift card. And we're going to do more quiz type things like this in the future. And let us know, do you like this format? Would you like us to do more giveaways or something like that? Because we have a lot of fun with it. So let us know how you feel about it. Yeah, definitely. So if you're not following us on Twitter and you want to partake in a future quiz, follow at Fraternity. And thanks again, Magers. Enjoy that gift card. Spend it on something real nasty. And enjoy the show, everyone. going on everybody welcome to another wonderful episode of fraternity i'm your little brother danny and i'm here with my big brother sean how's everybody doing tonight now if this is your first episode of fraternity i just want to welcome you to the show fraternity is a show where my brother and i go through horror films throughout history sean has been a lifelong horror fan and gives his fond memories while i'm relatively new to the genre and give my fresh perspectives If you're a returning listener, thanks for being a fan, and we hope you enjoy what we've got in store for you this week. Tonight, we're going to the year 1999 and talking about Dee Snyder's Strangeland. Now, I was aware of this movie. I don't know if you owned it on VHS or what, but the image of the cover with Genevieve's sewn mouth shut has always stuck with me. So I'm really glad I finally get to see the film where that image came from. I also had no idea Dee Snyder wrote and starred in this film and was completely (laughs) blown away by that fact. But anyway, Sean, why don't you go ahead and give us your fond memories for Strangeland? Well, let me set the scene for you, Danny. It's 1998. We're visiting our family in Buffalo, New York, and we go to rent some movies. Now, this is a long trip 
And dad ends up letting me rent a movie, not to be watched with the family, but something for me to get my horror fix in while everyone else is tucked in bed. And I see this VHS cover with a girl lit in this bluish hue with her mouth sewn shut. It's called D. Snyder's Strangeland. It boasts that D. Snyder has created a horror icon for the new millennium. It looks to promise a unique experience and a killer soundtrack, with bonus music videos too. I remember watching this movie in the living room with the lights turned off while everyone was asleep. I was sleeping in the living room during that stay anyway, so this was my little abode of the house. (laughs) I sat right up close to the TV, and I had to monitor the volume so as to not disturb anyone else. And I got a real kick out of the movie, and I sat through the credits so I could watch the music videos. I remember one was Cold Chambers Loco, but I can't remember what the other music videos were, sadly. On that same trip, we went out to a CD store, and our grandfather asked me to pick out a CD. I chose the Strange Land soundtrack. I was a 14-year-old horror fanatic and metalhead, so this movie checked a lot of boxes for me. We definitely had our day in the sun. And when our local Blockbuster sold their copy of the film, I picked it up and added it to my collection. So yes, Danny, I did have this on VHS. And this was pre-mom-and-pop VHS horror collection. So that's how far back this goes. And I watched the hell out of this movie in my teenage years. But like a lot of things from that time in a person's life, it just wasn't meant to last. Me and the film eventually drifted apart, and we found new things, you know that filled that short-lived void. I never did forget this movie completely, because it does offer up some crazy torture sequences. You get some boobs, albeit in questionable scenarios, but boobs are boobs when you're 14 years old. (laughs) And it did give us a decent modern villain. For the most part, though, whenever I would look back on this film, I would usually reminisce more about the soundtrack And after watching this again, I still really like it. It's not a great film. I think I would say it's a good film. For me personally, it's a really good film. It just has some frustrating minor flaws that begin to add up and wind up holding the movie back. They get so much right, but fuck up the little details. And the more those little details pile up, they become harder to overlook. But... Like I said, it still is a really good movie in my opinion. It's filled with familiar faces. The most famous of those, especially to this audience, is going to be Robert England, who pops up in the second half of the film. You've also got Elizabeth Pena and Amy Smart in small roles. Robert Lissardo makes a brief appearance like he almost always does. And I had no idea that Genevieve was Velma herself, Linda Cardellini. So let's dive right into D. Snyder's Strange Land, and we'll discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. And just get ready because we may veer off topic here and discuss some of the choice cuts of heavy metal and new metal that are heard throughout this film. So what do you say we get right into it, Danny? Hey, horror and heavy metal, I feel like they go hand in hand. Like, if you love horror, you're, you probably are into metal as well. <laughs> right, right. But before we start, just wanted to say, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Fraternity. That's at Fraternity. 
Go over there, keep up to date with everything Fraternity's doing. We have a YouTube channel. We upload previous episodes of the show over there on YouTube with a little bit of a visual twist, so you'll have to go over there, type in Fraternity in the search bar, check that out. And we have an email, fraternity at gmail.com. That's fraternity at gmail.com. Email us any questions, comments, anything at all. We'd love to respond. And whether you're a new listener or you've been pledging from the start, don't forget to leave those ratings and reviews and stay away from Captain Howdy. So the film starts with a credit sequence that shows off the various items scattered around Captain Howdy's lair set to the tune by Dee Snider himself titled In Conclusion. This song sounds like if Dee Snider made a Tool song, and I really like it. <laughs> it, it might be my favorite song in the entire movie. Yeah, it's the perfect description. If Dee Snider made a Tool song, that's what it is. It's great. It totally sets the mood perfectly. And I really love the uh, imagery we see in this opening shot. Next, we hear that ancient sound, Danny. The sound of a dial-up modem. You see, back in the ancient days of the internet, there were these things called chat rooms, and you could also instant message people. It's funny looking back on these early days of the internet as we watch Genevieve Gage log online and enter the teen chat, and I love how everything has to be explained. (laughs) Right. She has to tell her friend what she's doing and who she's talking to, but... They, go, they do a good job of not making it feel uh, forced. Yeah, and I didn't get my first computer until 2000. And I didn't know many people who had the internet, so it was definitely new to me. And you have to give it up to this movie for exposing or almost predicting the horrors of the internet. It's way ahead of the times in that regard, and that's definitely worthy of applause, I would say. Yeah, I think this opening scene is more relevant now than it probably was at the time just how being online and online personas have become an everyday part of our lives everybody has a little computer in their pocket now with their smartphones and it just captures that innocence and that acceptance you can get when you are online and are in a chat room and talking with people that have similar interests This scene is also set to the Marilyn Manson track, Sweet Tooth, from the album Portrait of an American Family. I love that album and this song. There's great deep cuts from that album like Wrapped in Plastic or Snake Eyes and Sissies. But that album does get overlooked if you ask me. Antichrist Superstar was already out and Mechanical Animals was either out or on the verge of being released. So it's cool that they pulled something off of the older album. Plus, the song really fits the themes here, I think. Yeah, great song. Uh, I haven't listened to much Marilyn Manson, but I really like it in this opening scene. So we see Genevieve greet everyone in teen chat with her screen name, Miss Triple X, with some numbers behind it, naturally. (laughs) (laughs) She calls her friend Tiana over as she gets a reply from Captain Howdy. We get some more explaining the internet dialogue as the girls check out his profile. He seems like a normal dude, and they take their chat private where he invites them to his house. And we're off as we see a hand wearing a latex glove pressing enter on a keyboard. The next morning, we meet Genevieve's father, Detective Mike Gage. His wife calls him away from his crime scene photos and coffee to make him aware of the fact that Genevieve didn't come home last night. 
The phone rings and the wife Tony goes to answer it, hoping it's her. They're assuming she stayed at Tiana's house. And Gage sits at the desk and accidentally turns the computer monitor on, and we see that he doesn't know the first thing about computers. In fact, his disdain and persistent battle with technology is a bit of a running gag through this first half. Yeah, each time he's near a computer, he, he's so close to getting on, and but then he has a roadblock there. <laughs> Tony walks back in the room, and she informs Gage that it was Tiana's mom on the phone, and it appears that she didn't come home either last night. We then cut to this rather innocuous house before cutting inside and seeing a shadowy figure doing pull-ups. We then get this awesome scene that feels heavily inspired by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where Genevieve runs out of the front door with this villain in hot pursuit. He ends up knocking her down the stairs with a shot to the back of the head, and we watch as he finishes his workout and begins to walk upstairs and through the halls. Seven Dust is playing, and I only point this track out because a lot of the ways that this film inserts music is by having it be shit that Captain Howdy is just blaring through his house. <laughs> We see him drag the unconscious Genevieve back inside, leaving blood on the pavement. And next we get close-up shots of Genevieve as she whimpers and cries. We also get close-up shots of Captain Howdy's mouth and we see his teeth have been shaved down and sharpened. This film isn't that shy about revealing Captain Howdy, but they do keep him mysterious and in the shadows for a while. So why don't we save a discussion on his look for the big reveal? Sure. Yeah, I do like those really close-up shots of Captain Howdy's tattoos and his piercings, and you just feel like this guy is just some towering villain. He just looks tall. He's got those huge boots. So all those shots that really uh, capture his figure are great. But for me, I think the problems with the film have already started, and it all comes down to Gage. I just don't find him to be a good lead character. I don't find him engaging at all, really. Um, I don't know how you feel about him, but it's definitely a struggle as the movie goes on for me to care what he goes through. Yeah, well, the next morning we see Gage at the precinct and we see his struggles with technology expand to not being able to get his dollar into the coffee machine. But yeah, this is my biggest problem with the film also. This actor that plays Gage is just not up to the task of carrying this side of the story. Yeah, it's like, and they even try to like explain it too, because later his wife is like, you know, he's a man of steel, he doesn't show his emotions. But I don't get that from him. I don't get that he's hiding emotions. It just, it's just such a flat performance. And I was like, have I seen this guy in anything else? And I have. He's in Heat. He's Wayne Grow in Heat. And I'm like, he's good in that. So clearly he has acting chops, but here in Strangeland, I don't know if it's an actor problem or if it's a script problem, but Detective Gage just does not do it for me as a lead character. Yeah, his acting leaves a lot to be desired, but I don't want to put all of this on his shoulders because it isn't like he's given all that much to work with. And we know D. Snyder wrote this film. And I feel like D. Snyder had a good handle on writing certain aspects of this film. But shit like this is where you can fuck it up, right? Like, yeah. the dialogue is not there. It's very wooden, very procedural. It's garbage. And the emotions are flat. Because getting in the head of Captain Howdy is easy. 
But writing this side of the story is where even the most creative people can really get themselves into trouble. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not an easy task to write dialogue or even dialogue when it's from a cop whose daughter is missing. And yeah, I honestly, I would say you just needed to shift around a couple things and rework the script and you would have a good, a really good movie. Like there's plenty there to work with. And I think the general outline is good, but it's when you pick apart the details is when you start to see the cracks. Like you said, this movie has a lot of faults that build up. Yeah. And I'll say, I think Gage does get better. I think he's tolerable. He's at least able to get you to the finish line. But the thing that makes the shortcomings even more glaring is this other detective, <laughs> Christian, or detective dipshit, whatever you want to call him. Detective fucknuts. <laughs> this guy is terrible. I'm not sure how this guy landed this supporting role, but it's like he showed up on set and forgot how to act. <laughs> And he's either stiff as fuck or he's overacting, but it's never good. <laughs> oh my god. The worst thing about this movie is that they didn't kill Detective Dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's little issues that pile up, and when you put the shortcomings of Gage with the overacting of Christian, it's, it really drags this side of the film, you know? Because Christian is basically in every scene that, with Detective Gage, so he's always there, and it's just like, oh, man, just please stop. Please. <laughs> what are you, my dad or something? <laughs> so back home, Tony's sister and niece arrive to comfort them, and Gage's niece, Angela, finds him sitting in front of Genevieve's computer, and she asks him if he ever goes online and attempts to explain the intricacies of the internet and chat rooms to him. And he asks her if girls, including Genevieve, ever go out on dates with these men they meet online, to which Angela replies in the affirmative. And it's the tiniest of leads for Gage to attempt to work with. Now, I had to do a bit of research here, because I wasn't sure how to truly explain the character of Captain Howdy. And according to Wikipedia, he's part of the modern primitive subculture. He really believes in spiritual transcendence through painful rites, as we get the first of many monologues here. Apparently a lot of his dialogue paraphrases or quotes the father of the modern primitive movement, and we watch as Captain Howdy shoves a long spike through the flesh on his inner arm, and he's like, We must all go through a rite of passage, and it must be physical, it must be painful, and it must leave a mark. Okay, anytime Captain Howdy is on screen... It's great. If there's one thing the movie does right, it's Captain Howdy, for sure. And I love the little monologues, what they have to do with the movie and the larger themes. I'm not sure, but it's just fun to watch Dee Snyder really dive into this character. And he does a really great job. Apparently this movie really pissed off a few people in the body modification scene, Danny, mm -hmm. for the representations we get here. It just proves yet again that the one true constant in regards to all the people on this planet is the ability to be offended by something. <laughs> <laughs> no one's saying you're all freaks, okay? <laughs> it's just this fictional character. Relax. And over on the other side of town, we see some divers in a lake. They're hooking a car they found submerged up to a tow truck as Gage and Christian wait nearby. And this tow truck driver is blasting Kid Rock's fuck off. 
<laughs> say what you will about Kid Rock. I can't say that I'm a fan, but I did have his breakthrough album like a lot of people did back then. And buried on the back half of that album is this song, Fuck Off, with a guest spot by none other than Eminem. I can still get down with the three singles released off of Devil Without a Cause, but if there's one Kid Rock song you should still check out today, it's this one. You've got two hungry musicians from the Detroit area on the cusp of stardom, and they're just dropping bars over a banger here. But like Christian says, Danny, kill that music. (laughs) (laughs) They pull this vehicle out of the lake and inspect it, and it's Tiana's car. They pop the trunk open and catch this whiff of death and can see a body underneath a blanket. And see... This shit here is good when Gage is obviously concerned by the real chance that this could be Genevieve. Yeah, there's some good tension as we see the car pulled out of the water. He's investigating, looking inside the windows, and we get that slow reveal of what's inside the trunk. So yeah, there's some definitely some good bits here and there. Yeah, they pull that blanket and discover Tiana's bloated corpse. Really nasty work here as her eyes are all puffed out from the swelling, her mouth still sewn shut, and Gage makes the positive identification, and Christian notices a giant septum spike in the trunk, and as luck would have it, the tow truck driver just so happens to be a body art enthusiast, (laughs) and he informs the detectives on what a monster of a septum spike that gnarly piece of equipment really is. I love this tow truck driver. (laughs) Just how he goes on explaining the modern primitive culture, and he just happens to be there. It's just so goofy, but it's so great. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, this is Robert Lasardo. He's been in a lot, but it's almost always bit parts like this, but he always delivers. Like, he's out acting our two leads here, you know? (laughs) Right, yeah, exactly. (laughs) People will remember him from a pretty vicious scene in Human Centipede 3, but... (laughs) He tells them about this club called Zabalba, and that's where our detectives head next. And if there's one band that got a bump from this film, it has to be Bile. Not that they ever gained stardom, but they're still out there making music today. And here we see them on stage in their crazy makeup, banging out their song In League, as we see a cavalcade of goths, punks, and just plain freaks having a hell of a good time. These were my people, Danny. (laughs) You know, sometimes I feel like this movie is just a vehicle for the music. And (laughs) that's not, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? There is nothing wrong with that. It's fine. But sometimes the scenes just feel a little empty. You know what I mean? This scene doesn't really do much for me until we get to see Captain Howdy a little later on. (laughs) Oh, come on, man. You've got the goth chicks with their braided green hair. (laughs) You've got punk rock dudes with spiked hair pumping their fists, leather boys and bondage freaks. There's even that weird dude on the table that looks like Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers (laughs) having a flea-like spaz session on the table. I love this shit. (laughs) And you're right about the music, though. And it's kind of sad because this era of movie is kind of dead, you know, where there were soundtracks like this, like... Even if you want to look at animation in that time period when it would get released over here, they'd load it with like new metal bangers. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's definitely a relic. You know, it's a product of its time. And I think it helps appreciate it a little more because you don't get 
just these wild soundtracks like this anymore. Yeah, totally. Like I said, nothing wrong with it. I do appreciate it for sure. A very music-centric film. It's a uh, yeah, it's something lost today. We sh- we need more people kicking out some banger soundtracks and giving more rep to some unknown bands. Yeah, it feels like D. Snyder because it's a good mix of heavy metal and new metal. And I feel like D. Snyder was like throwing some promotion at things he liked, you know? Totally, totally. Gage ends up realizing they should cut their losses, noting it would be like trying to find the owner of the glass slipper. And Christian notes that it's a real room full of Cinderella's. (laughs) (laughs) But as they leave, we see that the real party is hidden. And the real modern primitives are in their own section of the club. And we see Captain Howdy doing a chest suspension. And the other gathered members suggest pulling him down as he hangs from the hooks unresponsive. We hear a guy say, you said to let him hang. But these people may be into some strange shit. But they're not in the practice of killing people or letting people die in their presence. (laughs) And when Captain Howdy comes to on the floor, he's not too happy. He suggests wanting to have died. And he chokes this guy out when he says they thought he was dead. He talks about experiencing the small death or a near-death experience. He says he was crossing the abyss. He was almost there, Danny. He was almost there. I love that he's mad and he chokes that guy. (laughs) Why am I (laughs) alive? (laughs) (laughs) If he had died, what was going to happen to all those poor uh, hostages he has? (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Back at the precinct, Gage's superior discusses Tiana's coroner's report with him, and they note that she was dead for 72 hours. They discovered all the non-life-threatening puncture wounds on her face, breasts, and genitals. But they conclude that she died of a heart attack due to a congenital heart defect. But the fact remains that she was tortured and Gage has to get busy if he's going to save Genevieve from this cruelty. We then see Captain Howdy blasting snot song absent as he makes his way to the computer. There are two rare tracks on the soundtrack by late 90s bands that are must listen. One is absent by snot and the other is marmalade by System of a Down. The System of a Down song doesn't get a very prominent spot in the film, so I thought we could talk about that one here, because that song is pretty rare, and it's great, and it's before Toxicity, so it really has that self-titled album sound going for it. Yeah, it almost is like a bridge between the two sounds of the self-titled and Toxicity. I always loved that song. Uh, System of a Down was like my favorite, favorite, favorite band. In high school, middle school and high school. And I listened to them all the time. I had all those rare tracks, all those demo tracks. But Marmalade was one of my favorites. And it was very nice to see it here. (laughs) Had no idea it was in a film. Yeah, if you're a fan of late 90s new metal, do yourself a favor and check out these songs. You will not be disappointed. Because we're telling you, some of these tracks are very rare. Like the Snot song. Great stuff. So Captain Howdy is back on the prowl, and Gage decides to face his technological fears and go all to catch a predator on that ass. (laughs) He calls his niece to the precinct to help out, and luckily they get a break when an IT worker calls them back with information on who Genevieve last talked to online. He tells the detectives he has the screen name, but the user has used a stolen credit card and false personal information. So they're basically a ghost. 
And after we get this terrible meltdown by Christian, Gage takes the information <laughs> down and Angela quickly you, finds Captain Howard. <laughs> Don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Captain douche. Why did we not get to see this guy get his dick pierced? Come on, that's the first rewrite I would do. You gotta kill Christian. (laughs) Anyway, Angela does quickly find Captain Howdy in teen chat. And I love the drama when they realize they're probably in the same digital space as Genevieve's abductor. He's like, there he is. (laughs) But it's just like a name in a chat room. Yeah, I like this scene, though. It's It very much captures that early internet presence. It's like, there he is, but how do you, how do you get him? How do we lure him out? <laughs> yeah, they try to lure Captain Howdy into inviting them to a party, but unfortunately for them, he has his eye on their profile when they make some convenient changes to relate to him, but they do receive an instant message from them inviting them to a party. We then get this great bit where we watch SWAT members and the detectives enter a house while Captain Howdy prepares to pierce this poor guy's dickhead. (laughs) So we see that he's not discriminate in his quest to offer enlightenment. And this is kind of the first bit where we get to see the extent of this torture room. And this is some modern day Marquis de Sade shit going on here. Ah, the ampelang. Now that's a piercing. (laughs) Blood squirts everywhere. (laughs) We see Genevieve locked in this upright cage, and it becomes pretty clear that she's been raped because Captain Howdy's used his ampelang on her, Danny. Ooh. <laughs> now, does this guy's expression sell the horror of getting your penis pierced against your will or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hats off to this guy for selling it, getting your dickhead pierced. His eyes light up. <laughs> 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 He can't scream, though. Mouth sewn shut. But, ooh, looks painful, man. And all the while, that SWAT team runs up the stairs of this house, only to find a really old dude boning his old lady. I mean, he was going to pound town, Danny. Did we really have to see the 90-year-olds having sex? Yes. I, I love how you see him doing his, like, hyper hump for a split second <laughs> like he's going in oh, yeah. on that pussy yeah and then he's like he looks like a dog with a toy <laughs> and then he turns over as the cops are all surrounded and he's like my medicine oh my heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah dust was flying off them crotches dude and you know how it goes one minute you're boning your old lady next minute you've got rifles aimed at you and you're about to die <laughs> <laughs> And then the scene ends when we see that Captain Howdy has his victims hooked up to catheters and we watch as Genevieve pisses into a bedpan below. And if you know Chekhov's gun principle, yes, that bedpan will indeed come into use later. (laughs) 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 Gage ends up sleeping in his car on that street and the next morning he plugs his laptop in and begins to receive taunting instant messages from Captain Howdy. And eventually the instant messages turn into audio messages. But in one of the audio messages, Gage notices a nearby barking dog is present in the audio and realizes the house is across from where they were set up. So this scene just feels so sloppy to me. It's like, is Captain Howdy trying to give himself up? Like, why did he lead them to a house that was right next to him? It just feels like so convenient, you know? I'm just like... 
I don't I don't get it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, part of me thought like did he want to watch to confirm they were cops? But yeah, that seems pretty stupid. And then he was busy piercing dicks, wasn't he? <laughs> so Gage heads into the back of the house and speaking of sloppy, he discovers this trash bag full of needles. <laughs> <laughs> So it's pretty clear that this is the right house. And he manages to break in and sneak upstairs where he finds the six victims, including his daughter. Now, he mentioned that Genevieve is in a cage, but some of these kids have it pretty bad, too. There's the dude with the pierced dick. But there's this other guy who's like laid across these upright slats. Like, think of laying on a bed of nails or on top of swords. And the same principles apply here. We've got some girl in some kind of rope bondage. There's another chick in there, and then there's a boy in a classic pillory. It's definitely a house of horrors. Yeah, it's some really creative torture devices here, so it's cool. Gage finds Genevieve and attempts to free her, but he's losing his composure, and she notices Captain Howdy sneaking up on her dad. She attempts to alert him, but he takes a blow to the back of the head that knocks him out for a moment. He also drops the gun. And when he comes to, he gets the full-on look at Captain Howdy. So what do you think of this look in its full glory here? Oh, I love it. We get this awesome towering shot of Captain Howdy. I love the red hair. I love the tattoos. I love the leather pants and boots. Like you said earlier, I think we got a pretty decent horror villain that, in my opinion, stands the test of time design-wise and character-wise. I can't really think of anything similar to him. So. I really enjoy it. Anytime Captain Howdy's on the screen, it's great stuff. Yeah, let's break it down a little if you haven't seen it. So one side of his body, just one half, is completely covered in tribal tattoos. From his legs all the way to his head where he's got some Gene Simmons shit going on around his eye. He has that long red hair. He's got this xylophone of barbells pierced through the other side of his chest. Nipples pierced, neck pierced. Ears, lips, cheek, you name it. He's got metal rammed through it. And the piercings on his face come in three. He's really thought his look out, you know. (laughs) He may be about enlightenment, but there's some vanity there. (laughs) Yeah, I love the look too. I think it still holds up. Awesome stuff. This is the last person you want to be talking to online. Like, this was before internet predators were really a thing and they created... The worst possible internet predator you could imagine. (laughs) Yeah, they do a really good job of making you not want to go into a chat room and talk to anonymous people. (laughs) Gage crawls for his gun, but Captain Howdy drags him backwards. And Gage grabs that bedpan and smacks Howdy across the face with it, getting that urine all over him. Then Gage grabs the gun and shoots Captain Howdy through his leg. And he rushes over and places the gun under his chin, begging for him to give him a reason to splatter his brains. He ends up handcuffing Captain Howdy and shoves him to the ground so he can tend to his daughter. And we watch as Captain Howdy sits upright and taunts them by saying, I've never been afraid of anything in my whole life. Do you know why? Because I wish I was dead. And Gage takes put a sock in it literally as he shoves one in Howdy's mouth and informs him that, He wishes he was dead, too. (laughs) He frees Genevieve and gets her out of there as he tells her he needs to help the others. So our sadistic internet predator is captured halfway through the film. So where could we possibly go from here? 
Let's go ahead and explain the giant twist this film has in store for us. And then I'd love to hear your thoughts and surprise, if any, as to where this movie ended up going. Sure. We overhear news reports and see newspaper headlines that reveal to us that Carlton Hendricks, the man known as Captain Howdy, was found mentally incompetent. The defense argued that the death of Tiana was unintended, which I guess there is an argument to be made there. It is an interesting fact that, as far as we know for most of this film, Captain Howdy doesn't kill his victims. But one could argue that what he does is far worse than death. We learn that Zabalba has been closed down after public outcry, so good riddance. And wouldn't you know it, Carlton Hendricks winds up being found not guilty by reason of insanity. And after four short years in a mental institute, he's deemed fit for release. He's diagnosed as a schizophrenic with a chemical imbalance, and the medication is working. So what did you think? Did you see this coming? No, I did not. This hit me by complete surprise. And, you know, I love when movies have the balls to do something different and really change it up in the midpoint here. And Strangeland does that, for sure. I'm not entirely convinced that it was for the betterment of the movie. There is a lot that I like in the second half. Arguably, the second half might be a little stronger than the first half, but there's also a few things here and there that are, again, a little sloppy. But one thing's for sure, I do love how they dress up Captain Howdy, now addressed by his real name as Carlton Hendricks, and they just make him look as nerdy as possible. (laughs) He's got that long brown hair, the obvious wig. He wears a cardigan and long pants and glasses and makeup to cover his old tattoos. It's really funny and goofy, but it all works somehow. Yeah, I think this attempts to put Captain Howdy into a more classic villain mold, like a sympathetic monster. And on some levels, I think it does work. On some, it doesn't. But it's definitely an interesting twist here. And yeah, I love when we see the brief scenes of Carlton's life at the Institute. And he does look so meek and timid. And if you ask me, it's pretty apparent that he is dealing with quite a bit of regret over what he's done. Yeah, I also like that aspect too of like, you know, there's the question, is the villain just tricking everybody and is going to go back to his old ways as soon as he gets out? And the movie does play with that question a little bit. But ultimately, the answer is Carlton Hendricks, Captain Howdy was fixed with the medication and the therapy. So it is very interesting. It's an interesting take on all of this. And yeah, uh, I give it props just for doing something different. Awesome. Yeah, we see Carlton Hendricks get released and return home, and it's been vandalized in all the ways you might expect. But we then cut to Genevieve arriving home from school, and she calls out to her parents, but is startled by the sound of Captain Howdy's voice. And she runs from him and starts running up the stairs as he pursues her. And this is all shot from the point of view of Captain Howdy. And he tosses her on a bed and begins tearing her clothes off as she helplessly struggles before waking up from this nightmare. She cries out for her dad. We see Gage rush in to comfort her. So despite first appearances, we see that Genevieve is still struggling with the trauma. This is the one scene where I did feel Gage did love his daughter when he rushes in and caresses her as after she had her nightmare. I'll also say that this is another aspect of the film 
that in more recent times has started to bother me because Linda Cardellini does great with everything that she's given to do here, but she really isn't given much to do besides playing a helpless victim. And she was set up at the beginning of the film as our final girl. But then we just see her get put in a cage for half of the film. And spoiler alert, she gets kidnapped and tortured again. And I understand the story that this film is trying to tell. But the more I think about it, the more I wish she had more of a role regarding good triumphing over evil. Especially because she does have that opening scene, which is one of the more flawless scenes i guess you could say with the introduction of the internet chat room and what genevieve has been into but yeah i feel like the second half i think its worst fault is that it suffers from kind of being a retread of what happened in the beginning in the first half and i'm like okay you went out of your way to really switch up the plot and do something different with captain howdy but in the end it all ended up in the same place so i'm like did we really need to go here And like you said, I do understand the story that it tries to tell, and I do think it hits a lot of good beats, but at the same time, it does feel a little long-winded, and I definitely find myself wanting the movie to be over sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, the movie's gonna end up getting painted in shades of gray due to some sins of the father. And again, I get, just like you, I get the story that this movie's telling, but having Genevieve not that involved, I just... Let's just call it a missed opportunity. Totally. By the way, that song playing during the nightmare, Awake by the Clay People, good shit. (laughs) That was a favorite of mine on the soundtrack. I always loved that track, and I've actually started listening to the Clay People since uh, watching the movie for this podcast, and I'm really enjoying them. So outside Carlton's house, we see a bunch of protesters unhappy with the decision. They're especially unhappy with the fact that he just moved right back in the house. Probably not the best decision. (laughs) I get that it's a free country, but he's really bringing the property values down, Danny. (laughs) His lawyer comes out of the house and gives a brief statement before Carlton emerges himself and tries to apologize to everyone gathered there. But this woman pushes her way to the front of the mob and tells Carlton that, My Lord Jesus Christ will see you burn in hell because you're a sorry son of a bitch. (laughs) Now, this scene was really good until this woman named Sonny. (laughs) And I get it. D. Snyder dealt with the PMRC led by Tipper Gore and all the uppity Washington wives. He was one of the speakers at the Senate hearing. And I'm sure that all left a bad taste in his mouth. And this seems like a little shot at them. I just think it would have been better to play this a bit more straight because she comes across as a caricature of the angry Christian mother. And it kind of takes me out of the decent drama the film was offering up at this point. Right. Yeah, I definitely get what you mean and agree with you. (laughs) You know who else is there, though, huh? Oh, yeah. Freddy fucking Krueger, Danny. (laughs) The most famous child killer let off the hook due to a technicality and lynched by an angry mob of parents is standing towards the back and says the quiet part out loud when he suggests, somebody's got to take that boy out. (laughs) We then see Jackson, the character played by Robert England, getting drunk at home. And after he watches the news, he gets it in his head that Captain Howdy has his daughter. Even after suggesting himself that she was probably out humping some football player. I love Robert England here. He's so great, especially playing this character. 
Such a redneck prick. Who are you to tell me when I can stop drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Give me the phone, woman. <laughs> he organizes this posse to go after Carlton. And as he organizes this lynch mob, we do see that his daughter is just out screwing some high school burnout in a motel room. Does this dude get put in a fuck coma or what? He was out as soon as that semen left his body. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking through IMDb and that is that girl's one film credit. And I feel kind of bad for her that that's it. (laughs) Anyway. Jackson and the boys break into Carlton's house and start to beat the shit out of him and question him about where Jackson's daughter might be. They drag him out of the house and throw him into their vehicle, and he stares out the window as he's pressed up against the glass with this bleeding nose, and we see that Gage is parked right across the street, and he watches this happen as Carlton looks at him in search of mercy, but Gage just sits there. He even picks up his radio, but tosses it aside. One thing I'll give this film props for is the display of mob mentality here. You definitely understand why the community would be so torn about Carlton Hendricks's release. It sure does a better job than Halloween Kills, for example. (laughs) We don't speak of that. (laughs) And it doesn't shove it in your face. And I do really love that shot, as you see. The former Captain Howdy just beaten in the back of that car and Mike just chooses to ignore him. It's powerful imagery. Yeah, we see Carlton's pills get smashed under the tires as the boys drive him to his death. And I do think this movie does a decent job of drawing sympathy out of you here for Carlton. But at the same time, I think that sympathy has limitations. Yeah, definitely. That's what makes the sins of the father here with Gage making no attempt to stop what he has to know is certain death for Carlton at this point so interesting? Because it's kind of hard to blame him, right? Yeah, I mean, if anyone else was in that situation, they'd probably do the same thing. So you definitely understand. I mean, it is a very gray morality being portrayed, but that's what makes the scenario so good. As the old saying goes, though, two wrongs don't make a right. And indeed they don't, because we're about to see the terrible consequences. The lynch mob ends up hanging Carlton, but as he says as they toss the noose around his neck, death is like an old friend. They string him up, but we see they've used a loose limb, and after he stops twitching, the group leaves as rain begins to fall, and not long after that, we see the limb finally snap, and after a few moments, Carlton gasps back to life, now having experienced the small death, crossing the abyss with this near-death experience. And just like that, the monster has been reborn. It was such a thrill he starts quoting Freddy here. What a rush. (laughs) I love that his makeup is washing away in the rain and you see his tattoos again. It is a rebirth here. It's a, a really great scene. Yeah, that is a nice touch. I really like that too. And we cut to the next night and we see Jackson. I can't even call him that. Like, let's just say it's Robert England, man, drinking beer in his underwear. It's just Robert England. (laughs) (laughs) He's drinking beer in his underwear while wearing cowboy boots and watching super creeper porn. Oh, my God. One of the creepiest pornos. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's terrible. I'd argue, though, that it doesn't get much better than this. 
He's calling out to his wife to hurry up because he's losing his heart on. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, his wife appears. And we're going to assume that it's darker than it appears in this room. (laughs) Because we can clearly see that his wife's throat has been slit. And don't ask too many logical questions, but somehow Captain Howdy is behind her. And using her like a marionette to make her dance towards Jackson. And at first he's into it. Until he grows tired of all that dance and shit. And his name may not be Buck, but he's rare in the fuck. <laughs> he then notices the slit throat before Captain Howdy makes his appearance and says, Wanna play ball, Scarecrow? Before literally hitting Jackson with his wife. Oddly enough, Danny, this is the one murder in the film purposely done by Captain Howdy. Yeah, very true. Not much in the way of kills. <laughs> Not sure if it tracks with the character, but it's a cool scene, so we're going to go with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's one thing that I feel like the second half kind of misses the mark in is the characterization of Captain Howdy. I feel like he's a bit all over the place. He is murdering, and he's also got the thirst for revenge, and it just seems... It doesn't feel like the same character that we saw in the first half, but, you know, it is fun, so I'll let it slide. Yeah, at the precinct, Gage gets a few instant messages from Captain Howdy. Unsurprisingly, his new username has numbers attached to it because the internet is everything but original at times. (laughs) There's now 500 Captain Howdies out there. But Captain Howdy calls Gage and goes on a bit of a villain monologue, and it makes it very clear that he's back to his old ways. Yeah, I like that Howdy even calls out Detective Mike here and is like, you know, you watched me get kidnapped and you say you're trying to protect the law. You know, it's bullshit. You know, you ignored me. And he does have a point. Yeah, and Gage knows it was wrong, too. He even says that was wrong, but it's too late. We then get to watch Captain Howdy torture some of the attackers, starting with Jackson. He has his eyes and mouth sewn shut. And... Captain Howdy has a nasty bit of suspension planned for Jackson, who cries out in pain every time a hook pierces his flesh. He even starts crying. (laughs) But Captain Howdy informs Jackson that there's no crying. He's not a child. He stopped being a child the moment he learned that he was gonna die. We then see that he's also got Sunny, and she's rigged in something called the Kavadi. He starts running these metal spears through this contraption, stabbing her chest. He attempts to tell her that it isn't her that feels the pain. But it only takes a few spears before, in a bit of nastiness, she screams in pain, causing the stitches that sew her mouth shut to expand and tear. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, some nice gore here. (laughs) Maybe you do feel the pain. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately for Gage, Captain Howdy has a tragic bit of comeuppance in store for him, and it becomes clear that Genevieve has been kidnapped once again, and he rushes home with Christian and discovers his wife staring at her computer. And on the monitor, we see Captain Howdy's connected to them via webcam. And Christian attempts to get a trace as Howdy reveals that he indeed has Genevieve by piercing a needle through her breast in front of her parents. We see she has her mouth sewn shut once again. And through the dialogue between Gage and Howdy, it becomes clear to his wife that their daughter is being made to pay for something that Gage did, or rather, didn't do. Yeah, I really like the sequence with Captain Howdy on the video chat torturing Genevieve. 
it's really well done. It almost feels like a precursor to internet gore videos or live leak or even ISIS videos. You know, there's something about the internet and violence that is so intertwined. And this movie somehow captures that and kind of predicts it again, too. This making a lot of predictions with this film. It's great stuff. I didn't even know they had webcams already. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, great points. Definitely, man. And not long after that, we see two cops responding to a break-in. And these poor guys discover the new victims of Captain Howdy. And it's a plethora of forced body modifications set to Head P.E.'s wonderfully appropriate chorus from the song Serpent Boy. (laughs) Take a look around indeed, right? Yeah. System of a Down was my number one, but Head P.E. in middle school and high school were my number two. I loved their first three albums. I listened to them all the time. I learned about them from you. I think you had their CD and you were playing it in your car. And I heard the song Swan Dive and I was like, man, this song kicks ass. And so I got really into them. (laughs) And now they have like a million albums and I haven't listened to them in so long. But, you know, my love for Head P.E. is still there. This movie definitely reminded me of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's well utilized in the film here. We see a guy literally crucified. This other guy is hanging upside down. I'd say he's the lucky one. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Jackson is suspended by dozens of hooks, and we can see them pulling at the flesh all over his body. This one looks particularly painful, right? Yeah. They should have burned him, you know? Uh, Wink, wink. Or is that too obvious? (laughs) Maybe a little. Maybe a smidge too obvious. (laughs) Sunny has had dozens of those spears jammed into her flesh. And lastly, we get to see Genevieve rigged in this intricate display of what could be over a hundred little needles, all attached to strings pierced all through her body, keeping her in place. So seeing all this torture is cool, but I feel like it has no weight to it. Like, oh, they're all saved, I guess. Sure, they have mental scarring now. But it's like, oh, Genevieve was saved again. Captain Howdy is somewhere else. And we're off to our finale, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we see Genevieve and her mother in the back of an ambulance. But I do love when they wheel Robert England's character out and they've only cut one of his eyes open. But (laughs) he's all wide-eyed and in shock. He's looking around. Yeah, that's a great bit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we will miss you, Rob. You were great. And back inside, Gage finds this matchbook from Zabalba with a note written inside. And yes, it's off to the finale for this vendetta to get resolved. We see Gage enter the main hall of Zabalba, and he calls out for Hendrix as he jams out the Soulfly while hiding in the rafters. They have this back and forth before Gage takes the bullets out of his gun to draw Carlton out as he's like, Call me Captain Howdy. <laughs> <laughs> And Gage finally gets under Carlton's skin, and he comes down threatening to beat the dog shit out of him. I'm not sure why it's dog shit. Would have seemed more fitting just to call it shit. (laughs) Like, why don't I come over there and beat the shit out of you? But no, he says, why don't I come over there and beat the dog shit out of you? That's that's a miss for me. Small gripe. (laughs) (laughs) The two of them go toe-to-toe nonetheless, and Gage gets some... He gets something kicked out of him. (laughs) And then he wakes up 
in the area where all the modern primitives did their suspensions. And Captain Howdy tries to hook Gage, but Gage manages to fight him off. And after crawling away and struggling a bit, he turns the tables and rams the hook through Captain Howdy's back and lifts him into the air. And we see him swinging wildly about this room, kicking off the walls with this giant hook just shoved in his back. He takes this cheap shot at Gage here by suggesting that Genevieve probably felt a lot like this when he was inside of her. And for all the blustering, modern, primitive, spiritually enlightened bullshit, we see that Carlton Hendricks, Mr. Captain Howdy himself, is nothing more than a petty, childish, deranged, and pathetic rapist with no remorse. But what we also see here is that you can have all the body modifications and far-out beliefs in the world, but there is nothing more primitive and animalistic than a parent with the opportunity to confront the person that has harmed their child as we watch Gage take the law into his own hands and set Howdy on fire. Yeah, Howdy is swinging while on this hook, while on fire, and if it weren't for... That very obvious flesh-colored vest that he has on, it'd be great. I mean, it is great, but it's very obvious. <laughs> yeah, Captain Howdy's put on some extra weight here, hasn't he? <laughs> and I agree. I don't want to be too hard on this bodysuit because this is a complex and complicated burn. Because this character's only wearing pants and his legs are on fire and the fire's creeping up his body. Not to mention he's swinging from the hook and kicking the walls and the walls are setting on fire. I applaud them for going for this, even if the safety measures make it hard for the effects to hold up. Because burns are always the worst in that regard. You know, they're especially in the 80s horror films, burns are okay at best because you're always going to see the bodysuit, you know? Mm -hmm. I do think the dummy of Captain Howdy hanging there on fire once he's dead is pretty good, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the dummy looks great. I think it's totally convincing. Then he falls off that hook and leaves that meat chunk. That meat chunk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then our great friend and actor Christian pops in and grabs Gage and they both flee the burnings of Balba. And outside, we see that Christian is more than willing to cover for Gage by saying he didn't have a choice. But Gage tells him that people always have a choice, and he just made his. Clearly willing to answer for his actions in whatever manner. But he leaves to go be with his family. And that's the end of our movie. But you should definitely stick through the credits, because after Twisted Sisters' Heroes Are Hard to Find plays, there's this awesome song by a band called Crisis, called Captain Howdy that plays to wrap things up. Sadly, if you're watching this on Prime Video, the music videos after the credits are not there. But that's what YouTube's for. So Danny, what did you think of Strangeland? Ah, Strangeland. Look, D. Snyder, if you're listening to this, I want you to know you're the shit. But this film could definitely benefit from more than a couple of changes. The character of Mike needs to either have a different actor, or be completely rewritten. I do like the overall themes of the film with mob mentality, forgiveness, and revenge, and resentment, but the overall film could be a little tighter. Stuff in the story could be rearranged to have more impact. There could be more consequence and death involved to make things really have weight. I do like that they take a chance with the second half and go 
the Carlton Hendricks route. But in the end, it kind of ends up retreading the first half a little bit. But all that aside, it's a great performance from Dee Snyder. Captain Howdy is memorable, scary, likable. He goes through a variety of emotions in the 90-minute runtime. It's got a great use of music and a great soundtrack and definitely reinvigorated my love of all things metal. So there's a lot to like about this movie. It's not perfect by any means, but it is fun and it is very different. And I applaud it for tackling the subject matter of internet culture and trying to say something with it. Right on, man. You know, for years... There were rumors swirling, and it was purported that there was going to be a Strange Land 2 recently. And unfortunately, a few years ago, that plan is completely dead, as far as I know. And kind of sucks because hearing your complaints makes me wonder, you know, what they could have achieved the second time around. Yeah. And like I said, like this movie would be more relevant now than it was back then, you know, with how, like, imagine Captain Howdy, like, having a smartphone what kind of danger are we in there (laughs) (laughs) oh shit well all right man we don't have much in the way of kills to choose from here maybe you've got one but i think it would be fair to also choose a favorite torture device however you want to do it choose one of each if you want but i feel like we've done that before actually favorite torture device (laughs) how strange strange we are in strange land Did you find yourself a favorite torture or kill in the movie, Danny? Well, I have a favorite kill, and it would be none other than Captain Howdy's death at the end. You know, aside from the obvious bodysuit, it's still a great death. The fire is really convincing. I love seeing the dead Captain Howdy hanging on fire. I think the fake-out jump scares with Howdy coming back to life and scaring Mike are effective. It wouldn't even be out of character for Captain Howdy to be able to go through that much pain and still be alive. So it's a great (laughs) death for a great character. Well, as much as I like the torture of Jackson and Sonny, and as striking of an image the final torture of Genevieve is, I too am going with the swinging and burning death of Captain Howdy. I really have problems with that line when he says, this is how Genevieve might have felt when I was inside of her. And not just for moral reasons. I just find it to be completely out of character with this villain. But maybe that's the point. I'm really not sure, but I find it to be wildly immature. Yeah, like I said, I feel like Captain Howdy loses a bit of that mystique and a bit of characterization in the end here, and he just kind of becomes a generic asshole villain. I just wanted better for him, I guess, you know? Yeah, I do love how he's got the hook in his back and he's swinging back and forth the entire time. and. Like we've already talked about, burns are never easy. They look bad in a lot of classic 80s horror films, too. But bravo for taking the risk and trying to deliver a unique and complex burn here, because this could not have been easy. It never looked great, but it also didn't look as bad on VHS as it does now in high definition. (laughs) You could see the padding and the weight gain, but the bodysuit blend was a little harder to notice. Plus, who doesn't love a good meat chunk? (laughs) Hey, some films, I think, would benefit from being seen on VHS sometimes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And look, let's go ahead and give a tip of the hat to the film's torture bits as well, because 
People talk about how this film kind of predicted the whole crazy internet predator thing before it was really a thing. But you could argue that this film is torture porn before that really took off and became a brand new subgenre. You know, here it is in 98, 99, before Saw, before Hostel, before any of that. Yeah, good point. Good point. Can't refute that. All right, man. Well, how about a favorite scene? So my favorite scene is when Carlton Hendricks is hanged. So this scene definitely has the strongest thematic revelance in the film. You know, with the angry mob kidnapping Hendricks, well within their right to be mad that he got released. And I love that we see Mike just watching Hendricks getting beat and just chooses to do nothing, making that choice, having that morally gray area. It's the only time where I feel there's moral ambiguity within the characters. And again, Captain Howdy's rebirth almost is just awesome as this storm comes about. And be it divine intervention, this tree branch breaks and we see Captain Howdy resurrected with bloodlust. Great choice. Yeah, that's a fantastic scene. It's it's what leads us into the final half of the movie. Take it as you will. But. Yeah, wonderful choice, man. Well, how about you, Sean? Favorite scene of Strangeland? Well, I have to say that I feel like we've been having duplicate picks more often recently. Mm -hmm. And I am so glad because I was so afraid you were going to take the want to play ball scarecrow scene from me. (laughs) (laughs) That scene's just, it's a little bit too much on the goofy side for me. Yeah, I just think it's very memorable. I really like it. I'm not knocking the rest of the film. The torture reveals in the house and in that other location are awesome. But nothing compares to Robert England playing a total sleazebag getting ready to pork his wife while wearing cowboy boots and underwear. It starts off uncomfortably creepy, all while being absolutely hilarious. And winds up being a pretty good horror sequence if you ask me. Never mind how implausible it may be, the imagery (laughs) is creepy and awesome when Captain Howdy uses Jackson's wife like a blood-soaked marionette. And I love how we, the viewer, can clearly see what's going on, but it is not apparent to the joyous and horny Jackson. Add in that moment of realization and a Wizard of Oz quote, and you've got one hell of a scene. And when is the last time you saw someone get clobbered by a corpse? (laughs) (laughs) I will say, too, that Captain Howdy licking the arm of the fresh cadaver is a nice touch. So I guess that's another thing he's into. (laughs) (laughs) It's just more fun when we have uh, two different picks. (laughs) Yep. If you had picked it, I wasn't going to take it. (laughs) I don't want you. I want you to be honest, Sean. We can have similar picks. (laughs) All righty, man. Well, that was strange land. That was the beginning of April, and stay tuned because we're bringing you fantastic movies, not just all month long, but all year long. So stay away from Captain Howdy, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening, and tune in next week. We'll see you next time. <laughs>